The reading tonight is from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, let's turn to our scriptures now here in Ephesians. And one of the things, I want, one of the things I'm kind of interested in, as, as a, um, maybe as a lit major partly, is this, is, is I'm interested in the thoughts of the writer. Like, how's he thinking about this? Like, well, like what's he want? Uh, like, or, or, or is he thinking about the way he's writing? Like, this is really important with what, with what Caroline just wrote, read. Because this stuff, it, look, a lot of the Bible you listen to, it can sound like a word salad. Right? Didn't that, didn't that to, to front, some of you didn't sound like that? Just a bunch of shun words, just over and over. And you sit there and you just kind of check out. You don't really hear. You don't hear deeply. You, don't, you can't hear it somehow. And, and this is even harder for me. The more familiar you are with the text, the closer you get in, the, the more you study it, well, you're in danger of something else where you, you can't see its freshness anymore. It doesn't pop for you anymore. It doesn't have power with you. But sometimes I'll see things. I'll see things. Or I'll see something at a kind of at a macro, like a big level, like a meta level, and I want to grab it and show it to you all. Sometimes it's very hard to do. Because the text is so long. This one's fairly short. Look in verse 1 and verse 10. You'll notice they share a word. They share a, a verb. Uh, they share a verb, uh, both of them. And the verb is the verb of walking. <laughs> it's kind of a little ironic since I'm walking with a little limp today. But walking. Walking. So the beginning and end of this text, in those 10 verses, you once walked in your, in, in your sin, in your trespasses, right? And now you're going to walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Okay, what happened between verse 1 and verse 10? <laughs> right? Well, you get the, this is what's kind of cool, the, the bigger sense of what Paul is saying. This is our trajectory. We are following the, uh, the course of this age, following the ruler, the prince of the power of the air. And, and we've been talking about this. It's, it's like a little, a little death march. And Satan's ruling the way. We're all, all the world, all the world, all the all San Francisco, all the street. Everybody's on this little is on this death march, this death parade. But then you get to the end of the text, and then you're walking. Get this, you're walking. Get this, your steps were ordered and appointed by God <laughs> to walk into some beautiful thing He has for you. What changed between verse 1 and verse 10? And in fact, what, what, what's, what's happened? And I'm going to hover, I'm going to hover, this, this entire message is taking verse 1 and verse 10 
and stick it in your face, verse 4. Because verse 4 is how the text hinges. It's where the text turns. And it's one of these great disruptive moments in the Bible where God shouts his love. Are you, can you hear it? He's shouting his love. Can you hear it? Can you see it? Is it fresh? And it's not just his love, though. It's his love for sinners. <laughs> his love for the wicked. His love for those who don't love him. <laughs> his love that goes and searches out which is not looking for him. Such a God with such a love. This idea here, this idea, this, 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 this big outline of the text I want you to see, that you and I once walked in wickedness following Satan, and now we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Has that change happened to you? Have you, have you been disrupted? I mean, has God entered, bam, into your life, and you no longer walk the same way? <laughs> Maybe you used to walk like this, and now you walk like this. Something has changed, right? Something dramatic. You're going one way, you turn another. The love disruption. And in fact, that's all I kept thinking about was this idea of a disruptive love. And the most disruptive thing about it is, the, is what it actually says. God loves sinners. And we worship a God who disrupts. He brings in his love disruption. And Paul's writing this. And I, I, I want to capture this. Um, he wants you to know this. And he believes that if you can get this, if you can get this paragraph I, we just read, if you can get the transition from verse 1 to verse 10, guess what? You, you can, you can be a, a part of the disruptive force of God in the world. You. You and me. I hope so. So what I'm hoping today, I want, to, I want to kind of open this up in three ways. Three points. Uh, because we worship the God who loves sinners, we must trust him even more when bad things happen. But I want to go past that and say that because we worship God who loves sinners, we must rest on him fully and only for salvation. But go even further than that, because we worship the God who loves sinners, we too must love sinners the way he does. So I think this view of God that I am hoping by the Spirit, not just by the excitement of my words or my personality or my articulation, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit, you will be disrupted. You will be disrupted, and in turn, will be his disruption. Well, Father, I ask you to do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The first thing I just want to jump, in, jump right in. We've been looking at these first three verses, and they've been kind of dark. There's been a dark cadence to them. We're talking about original sin and the wrath of God last week. And last week, I preached on the wrath of God. You guys really missed a fun one. So, yeah. But, you know, it's funny. A, a, friend, a friend of mine was listening, and, and they said something to me afterwards. They said something to me after I spoke. And because one of the things I said, it's kind of hard to get your head around it, but God's wrath in this text is on mankind. It, that's you. That's you guys. We're, we're mankind. All of us. And we are by nature. By nature. By the way we're born. By the stuff of our atoms and our bodies. We are by nature. Children of God's anger. And I was 
eager to talk about that. Anyway, I was talking about how even Christians, though, even you and I, for whom Jesus is a sacrifice for sin, still have to die. My dad died a couple months ago. My dad would love God more than almost anybody I've ever met. He had to close his eyes in death, though. He had to suffer under the miseries of the curse. He had to suffer because of what Adam did. He had to suffer because death and judgment are in the world, and God is a judge, and there's no way around it. But you know, what this friend challenged me about was, where is the comfort in that? that? (laughs) Where's the comfort that we still experience all the miseries of this life? Is that a comfort? Am I comforting those who are suffering by saying such things? That wasn't my aim to comfort. But it certainly is Paul's. Because one of the things I pointed out last week was only two times in the book of Ephesians does he use the word wrath, but how many times does he use that glorious, wonderful word, agape? 20 times. 10 times more. As if you and I should take a lesson from the proportion, right? We can talk about God being angry, but only if you get it in proportion, right? Because he's 10 times more loving than he's ever been angry. Praise him. (laughs) Praise him with highest praise. But one of the features of God's love, one of the things we can't forget, is he turns garbage into gold. Again and again he does this. It is always his work. Look at I I had this picture. like, uh, uh, Like sometimes God almost feels like a big mysterious box, okay? It's really weird. You can put something really evil into that box, that box that God is, right? You can put addiction, death, suffering into that box. But do you know what happens on the other side of God's change-o-matic box of power? Those things turn into gold. Pain turns into life and worship. Death turns into, as my dad's death did, a chance for people to hear the good news again, hear it fresh. Our God is in the business of taking the ruin that comes out of his judgments and turning it into blessing for Carol. (laughs) Praise him. Blessing for all of us. You see, there's nothing God, put it this way, does anybody have a golden cross on right now? Does anybody have wearing a golden cross tonight? Anybody here right now wearing a golden cross? Nobody, none of us are right now, uh, just by chance. How the heck, how the heck did Christians do this? We turned an instrument of torture and execution into a pretty ornament that we wear around our neck. How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. The greatest evil of history, the cross, goes into God's change-o-matic sovereign will. And what, what comes on the other side of the instrument of torture? Alex has eternal life. I have eternal life. The ultimate good comes out of You get what's happening here? God is always doing this. And so one of the things that I want to get you into this this love disruption, this concept of how God loves us, I want you to be excited about it. Because that love is proved again and again how he turns your woe, turns your worries, turns your failures into things glorious for the kingdom and beautiful for others. How many of you have, have you ever had this happen? You'll confess like the darkest night of your life. For the dark time, you almost left God. The dark time, you almost cheated on your spouse. The dark time, some terrible thing you almost did. You were so ugly. And you're ever sharing it with that person. And as you're sharing it, you can see the life. They're like, 
the joy they have because they met a brother just like them. What did God do with your failure right there in that moment? What did he do with your failure? He turned it into blossomed into something beautiful, right? And encouraging in the life of another believer. And you thought you were just ashamed. You just went to hide, right? Not even knowing, not even realizing, not even guessing that you were cheating God. You know, it's funny. A lot of us will not confess sin very publicly. And we cheat God of taking our stuff, putting it in his change-o-matic love, and coming out with a message of hope for people who are failures. Praise him. I mean, that is the business of God. And that is the business that he's doing. And we look at the text. Look at the text. It's really hard to get around the Greek, but the way, kind of the way it happens is, the way the the Greek is translated, right in that verse, it's the loving love. (laughs) The loving love of God. The the love that's loving. The love that's love love. That's more than love. And there's there's a picture here even in the syntax. Um, and you know, it comes up in Ephesians 3 especially, where Paul's right on the edge of language. He's trying to talk about how amazing God's love is, and he's trying to portray it because he loves, and the way he loves is so loving, it, can, it, it transmutes every place wrath hits my life and turns it into something good. And, and I'm so thankful for that. Because <laughs> there's so much ruin in here. But now I know that means there's that much more opportunity for God to reveal his love, right? It's just more. I can't lose, y'all. I can't lose. I can't screw this up. I've tried. I've tried. But I can't seem to do it. In this beautiful way, though, there's this, uh, we, we realize and we discover that, that even though the miseries of the curse and anger of God in this world will affect us, We know that God's love conquers, transforms, and works through these things for our good and our glory. I guess in a sense is, the worse it gets, the more you need to double down. Now, in other words, the worse it gets and the more it hurts, that's the time to double down on your faith. That's the moment to go, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe that the hand that strikes me is the hand that loves me. And that is faith. Because I know my God will turn this lead of my soul into gold. Praise him. He'll even turn my circumstances. Praise him. He will speak life like he always has. But because we worship the God who loves sinners, we have to go further than that. It is one thing to be blessed. Maybe you're blessed today by the idea that that, that something of who you are and what you've done, maybe some of the ugliness, maybe some crime you committed, maybe some, some real evil, that could be shine with God's glorious light. That's pretty cool. But one of the things I... i tell you why I find this text kind of frustrating. I took, verse 1, walking in darkness. Verse 10, walking in good works. Read the 10 verses there. You can read through them if you want. There is not one action that you take in that entire paragraph. Doesn't mention, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't talk about our actions. Who makes us alive? He makes us alive while we're still in debt. And, and if we, and we, get, we start to get a sense here. I guess when I was looking at these 10 verses, I kept thinking like this. I kept thinking, okay, there's a change. You're walking in darkness, and then you're walking in what God, God does. And in between, it's all God. 
It's like, it's like Paul wants to double down on this point. That if you understand God's love for sinners, you'll understand this. It's a love that's free. It's a love that's never earned or deserved. It's pure grace. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, look, look, I'm, <laughs> I, I don't understand grace. I just preach about it. <laughs> and, and if anybody, you can understand it, then you can come preach about it too. Probably preach better than me then. Because it's so hard to understand. Why would, what? Let's, let's unpack this here. Let's see if, if we can dive into God's love for sinners. You know, um, when I say that God loves sinners, some of us probably, I don't know if you've gotten some of this, some people don't like that language. And they, they respond to it this way. You know, it's really a shame you have such a, uh, such a primitive view of God. That's really a shame. I, I mean, that's kind of cool that you like to think of a God like he's like a human, but come on. Are you saying God has little fits? He gets angry? Are you saying, does God every once in a while look at, a, look at somebody and have an infatuation? What do you mean God is love? Aren't you attributing? Aren't you attributing to God? And isn't Paul in this text attributing to God? And don't you all do this? Don't you attribute to God stuff you wish he was like? Don't you project yourself onto him? That's how the argument goes. That's how the argument goes. <laughs> they don't know anything about the power of God when they argue that. Or who he is or what he has said. For I have been told I was created this way in order to reflect him. And that I was given emotions in order to reflect who he is. It's not, the, it's not that way. I'm not approaching him. He has spoken to me. He has spoken to this world. He has created us like him. We never created him to be like us. That's an obscenity. But keep pushing the point, keep pushing the point. You have nothing to do with your salvation. Well, yeah, but I, I chose to go to church. No, you have nothing to do with your salvation. Yeah, well, I've been a good person. No, you have nothing. And it, it is, it's so fundamental and rock-solid bottom that if you have done anything for your salvation, if you thought you were good, then you just lost the whole thing. You just lost the whole kick and caboodle. God only works with zero. That's it. And you know, zero. I have a hard time with that because I'm a proud man. I don't like things for free. I want to earn things. But there's this idea of God's love. It's not like human love. It's greater and more transcendent. Another response you might get from when I talk about God's love is to go, Man, I'm so glad Chris is finally preaching on love. Let's get the love fest going on. Come on, let's do it. Agape. Oh, it feels good, doesn't it? What are we looking for there? The new age, the new age word salad, right? (laughs) God is, we see these all the time, the love salad. Love is love. I don't know what that statement's supposed to mean, even. It's a non-statement. You know that it's a self-referentially, it's more, it doesn't mean anything. It literally means nothing. <laughs> it's a tautology. It's a logical, complete circle. But it's everywhere. What is it? It's a word salad. We pop all these things out, and God, love, and God is love, and oh yeah, we're groovy, Chris. We're all good. You know, love is love. And or love wins. But that is not describing God's love. You know, it's funny, I just, I actually, if you guys heard this song, it's by a, 
I don't even, I've never heard of this band before, so I'm really kind of reluctant to even say it, but King and Country or something. And they have a song by with Dolly Parton. Have you heard the song, God Only Knows? Holy cow, what a good song. All right, it hit me. I liked it. But what I really liked it was that it's about this sermon. Because the, the song is all about how you feel so worthless. But there's a love that God only knows. And there's a, I, and he, what's that, what are they talking about? The word, gosh, you know what, in, in Hebrew and Greek, they had to come up with words. <laughs> um, actually, you know the word agape? It's all over, it's all over Ephesians. And it comes from a Hebrew word called hesed. Did you notice our, 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 opening, our opening worship here? His love endures forever, over and over, and his steadfast love endures for his steadfast. And it was your, as we were reading it, I always worry about this when, I, when I'm crafting worship. Is this going to be boring? Are people going to sit there and go, golly, can't they come with something original? Or, you know, I, think, I worry about those kind of things. And as we were all saying it, his love, steadfast love endures forever. His stead, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I just had this moment. I'm like, amen. I, hearing us all say it, it was like it was being driven, and I need that. I need this point driven into my skull so many times. You can you just say it a thousand times to get in here. Because to me, I, it doesn't compute. <laughs> and I have to hear it again. And I, and I was thund as we were thundering it. And that's beautiful. That's what we are celebrating. That's what our worship's been full of. The adoring, the focusing, the, uh, uh, the exalting of the love of our Father. The loving love with which he loves us. There's nothing like it. It's the same thing being repeated in all these verses. And anybody who knows it, you know what? I know, I know who wrote this. I don't know him personally, but I know them. I know their heart. I know because I've felt the same freaking way. You're just like, over. Oh, oh my goodness, his love endured. His steadfast love is everlasting. Oh my goodness. You, you can, I can hear the discovery. I want to be a part of it. Do you want to be a part of it? That it's all about him? You can't bring anything to it. It's all about his love. His love searching you and finding you and choosing you and chasing you and loving you and securing you and cleansing you and rebirthing you and making you alive. And it's always been from beginning to end. You know, these, these, these competing ideas of love, where either God doesn't have love is a platonic idea, or this word salad idea, they all miss it. They miss a God they could have never predicted. Eternal, sacrificial, sovereign, effective, life-giving, self-giving. A God with constant and endless care, affection, concern, interest, attention, response, and presence. Praise him. So you've been removed from the equation. And the, the, the principle this brings into play is grace. Now, I want to, the only reason I want to pull this out, pull this out is... I want you to, I want, I, want, I want to get into your hearts here. If I would. Father, I pray for wisdom to do this. But, so this is how most of us live our lives. We're actually living a lot like uh, Nietzsche would have taught us to live. Nietzsche taught this. And Sartre is very famous for it. In existentialism. I create myself. I choose this. I choose this lovely woman. Isn't she lucky? I choose this. I choose this. I determine myself. 
I am self-determined. I see an effect that I want, and I become the cause. And that's how we live our lives. We're very, very self-determined, right? And what we, we can't hear, that's why it's so hard for us to hear grace. God literally comes in and says, no, you don't. No, you don't. And you're like, well, I got up this morning, I brushed my teeth, I, 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 I made good career plans. I, no, but when it comes to your salvation and your life and your holiness and the truest part of who you are, you have nothing you can do. Praise him. <laughs> Praise him. Because you can't fix that part of you. But he can and he does. Praise him. I, um, I'm talking about the fact that, that when it comes to who you are spiritually, and, pro- and, and even the deepest part of who you are, you are only what God gives you to be. Nothing more. It just makes you want to seek more from him, though. You know, have you ever heard the idea of God can be your co-pilot? You know, like, you know, God, I just remember the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. <laughs> I can just imagine God. I can just imagine God. Maybe some of you are like, you know what? I don't, let's, let's get, none of, us, none of us fly. We're driving in our cars. God, you can be the driver of my car. And every one of you, I can imagine how God responds to your backseat prayers. Wrong turn, God. You missed your turn. Hey, wait, do you turn? Ah, we know we're going to have to go all the way around the block now. I wouldn't drive like this. I can't believe you drive like this. I'm in danger. You almost hit that pole. Are you paying attention? That's what we're like with God, aren't we? Even when we act like we're giving up control, we're, 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 we're coaching in the whole way in the back about how we want. You know, we, we, we claim we're surrendering control to God. A lot of times we're not. You know, I personally think, you know, I think what God has said to me, I'll tell you what God said to me. Oh, let's do that. He said, hand me the keys. Hand him the keys. He goes, okay, don't get in the car. Don't, don't bother opening the door. Get in the trunk. Because you don't even know where you're supposed to go. And you know what I found? That trunk is kitted with love. <laughs> it's a love trunk. It's my favorite place to live now. <laughs> I just want to get in the back of the car, get in the trunk, and close my eyes and let him take me where he's going to go. Because I can trust him now. And that's what really we have. That's what God is saying to us. Stop trusting me with just a little bit of your life or a little bit of your salvation or just enough to get. No, I want a living knowledge of you. I want you. I want you. <laughs> what a God. What a Savior. You know, when Christ is on the cross, he becomes the perfect and complete sacrifice for sin, he becomes all our righteousness. You know what? You know why? You know why preachers don't preach this? You know why preachers don't preach this? Because there's a whole lot of you that sit there, and a lot of people sit there and go, "Well, if God loves me that much, that freely. What am I doing here when I could go be playing ball? <laughs> you know, if loves me that much, why can't I just do as I please? Well, if God loves me that much, sure, sure, that's all true, I suppose. But God, when He loved and recreated you made you a person who wants him. And when you deny yourself, you hurt yourself. You're a new person. You've got to live the way God now remade you to live. But let's, let's come down to our final point here. Because some of my joy in this has been to affirm the work of God's grace. 
I want you to see this idea, this sincere and pure and loving love of God. Trust Him fully. Double down. Go further. If God is, if this is love squared, the loving love of God, then let's respond. But then I, I, I have this final idea, though. We worship a God who loves sinners. Do you love sinners? I mean, sacrificial, self-giving of yourself to die for, to love fully, to, to love the way he loves. To go to them, to not wait for them to come to you. These fundamental things that, the fun, that, that, that are the characteristics of his love. Where he incarnates in the situations in which we live, in our flesh. Are you incarnate in the, in the hardships of people around you in the, in the you love? Are you present? Are you disrupting? Oh, there's such an invitation here. You know, Christians... Christians are a quiet bunch in this generation. We have heard what the hegemony, the worldview, the world order says to us. Keep your religion to yourself. You don't share that anywhere at work. You don't speak like that. I know, I know, what, I know what the rules are. I mean, I want a love disruption. And I want you to be a love disruption. We need to be that guy. Yeah, I know, I know. I know I'm encouraging you to be that guy, that girl. The person who says things when they shouldn't. Who doesn't obey the rules of his life, of, of the, the unspoken rules, the mores, the things you know you're not supposed to do. You know who crashed through those again and again? You know who walked through the mores of his day? Jesus. <laughs> and the disciples came up and they saw him talking to a woman. And they're like, what's he doing talking to the Samaritan woman? Broke every code. And Why? Because he's a love disruption. That's why. Because he loved that woman more than he loved the rules about what he's supposed to say to her. Praise him. What a God. What a Savior. And I love this idea that he is sending us in this disruptive fashion. Now, many of us are co-captive to fear. I get it. There's a lot of threats where you work. There's a lot of threats where you live. There's threats in your family. I know that these things are real. Oh, but let's pray for boldness. Why don't you pray for new boldness? I, I, it, you know, look, look. Maybe, maybe you don't want to be a disruptor because that disrupts your life. How many of you don't want to be a disruption because it would really disrupt your little peaceful thing you got going? You know, where people kind of know you're a Christian, but you don't, you don't play it too hard, right? You don't want them to feel bad. How do I know you do these things? Because I do them. <laughs> it's what we do. This is where we are. But I see in this, in this description of Jesus, this description of God's love, an invitation for a new boldness, a new boldness to speak. <laughs> but, but it's it's kind of comical. You're being invited into the joy of your salvation. Get this, get this, get this. I have never, ever, through speaking or preaching, ever saved one person. Not one. Never. I can't save anybody. Only Jesus does it. That sets me free, doesn't it? That sets me free to say, as it sets you free, to speak clearly and boldly about what it is you believe and why you believe it, unafraid. A lot of times we weigh things, right? We weigh our ROI, what's your return on investment? You meet this person, you meet somebody, oh, wait a second, I've got a sales opportunity. Maybe I have an opportunity to, to, to get a client. Maybe I have an opportunity to make some money. Maybe I have an opportunity for romance. Maybe I, we're always looking at people for their possibilities. What are they going to give us? What are we going to get? How will they advance us? What, will, what benefit will they be to me? 
And I love the way the love of God in this ten, these 10 verses stands above all that. It is a pure, undiluted passion for sinners. Praise Him. I want the same thing. <laughs> and I want it in us. Where we stop figuring out what we can get and we try to figure out how much we can give and how much we can love and how deeply we can disrupt our families, our culture, our city, our streets, our workplaces, our schools with the message that God loves sinners just like us. And we are weak and we are small and we are, many of us are, don't feel like we even know what we would say. But didn't you just listen to the sermon? <laughs> it's all him. And it is all him chasing his glory. Praise him. You know, in the final analysis, I was, so I'm sitting back there praying. And I'll pray for him. For prayer, I'm going to preach. And, and then I'll think about, you know, one of the things I ask myself sometimes, um, really sincerely, I ask myself, is there anything I'm afraid to say? I do that. I go, is there anything I'm afraid to say? And that's the first thing I write down in my sermon. <laughs> what am I afraid to say so I can make sure I say it? You know? Make sure I'm not being a coward and hiding. I don't know. I mean, that's made me sound like I was bragging or something. I think that's what God has done to me. But it has made me a fool. You know, I, <laughs> I get very angry with God about the way I preach. Just you all know that. I get very frustrated with our Heavenly Father because of the way I preach. That was accentuated tonight. As we were coming in tonight, I was, I was asking Tal about getting, you know, having a good timer. And I have a timer to check, check my time because I could preach for an hour, hour and a half. He didn't let, he let me. Isn't that scary? Anyway, uh, don't be afraid. <laughs> um, um, and then Tal goes, yeah, I was trying to figure out a hand signal for that. But also, I was trying to figure out some way to tell you when you're frothing at the mouth. <laughs> Sitting there. <laughs> and I'm like, and we, were, we drive a few more blocks, and I'm a little bit slow. I really am. And I'm driving a few blocks, and suddenly I go, frothing at the mouth? What do you mean frothing at the mouth? And of course, you can see spittle flying all over the car. Because <laughs> I'm ashamed. I get ashamed of myself. I, I hear that, and I'm ashamed. I'm like, I'm like, God, if you put me up to, to be a fool? And then I realize, in his grace, in his choices, in his power, I have nothing to do with it. I'm just a, I'm like, a, I'm like I, am, I am a clown in one sense. And I'm, I'm my father's clown. Praise him. I'm, like, I'm God's fool. I'll, I'll take that all day. And, and, and it gives me joy that I can look at my own failure and go, my God wins. Love wins. Because God loves sinners like me. And he is determined to glorify his son Jesus by taking a wretch like you and me and turning us into something beautiful, active and living and disruptive in this world with the love of God. Amen? Let's, I pray we do it. Let's pray. Father, Oh, Father, oh, Father, come and, come and disrupt. <laughs> come and disrupt us. I, I, seriously, Father, disrupt everything. I, 
I call upon you, dear Heavenly Father, to disrupt, disrupt my life. I mean, seriously, you've done it before, and you know how to do it. Disrupt every... Actually, Father, somebody in this room may really hate this later, but I pray for a disruption of everybody in this room. I pray in the name of Jesus. A disruption that brings them to your loving love. <laughs> disrupt us, Father. Some of us love our comfort. Disrupt that. Some of us love our sin. Disrupt that. Some of us just love being anonymous. Disrupt that. Some of us think we're failures. Disrupt that. Your steadfast love endures forever. I want to thank you for the good news of Jesus. I thank you that all the garbage I try to be or do to please you doesn't work anyway. It's, it was Jesus who pleased you. And I stand in Jesus. It is all about him, all of his grace. I want to thank you that you shared that grace with me. I want to ask you, Father, and I really mean this, if, if, you, if you show your love to people like me, then I, I don't see how anybody in this room doesn't deserve it, Father. I am, how could you deny us? I'll go even further than that. I'm pretty sure nobody in the city is as, is as wicked as my heart has been. But you showed mercy to me. Out of all that abundance and riches and mercy and grace, will you give us a bunch of it? I pray for a new life in this room tonight. Why not, Father? Why not call somebody to eternal life tonight? But more than anything, for every one of us, would you comfort us by speaking to us in your love, in your loving love, in your loving way? I pray you speak to us in the table, speak to us in worship, speak to us to each other even. In Jesus' name, amen.